Good morning. I took a fall right before Christmas, and I'm still struggling with my knee problem, so I'm going to sit down today. But I, I did want to say thank you for arranging for a beautiful snowfall. <laughs> uh, we, we, we appreciate that, or at least I do. I don't know if my wife appreciates it because she's got to do most of the driving, but uh, yeah. I'm going to ask you to turn with me to Psalm 133 this morning. Psalm 133. A short little psalm, but a very meaningful one. And I'm just going to read it from my translation here. I think you can follow along with it. Praise the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Praise him, O servants of the Lord. Whoops, excuse me, I'm on the wrong song. <laughs> The good one. <laughs> Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil upon the head coming down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, coming down upon the edge of the ropes. It is like the dew of Hermon coming down upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We recognize that your word is a lamp unto our feet, a guide for us. We recognize our responsibility to live by it and follow it. And as we look at your word this morning, I pray that you would challenge our hearts in a new and a fresh way from it. I pray that you would remove any distractions, any hindrances, any powers of darkness that would block the reception of your word. May Jesus Christ be glorified in this, many, this meeting this morning, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Years ago, I copied out of a book a little article written by Robert Louis Stevenson. Some of you remember some of the classics and some of his writing and so forth. It was in a little book entitled Edinburgh Picturesque Notes. It tells the, the tragic tale of two spinster sisters who had a falling out over some point of controversial divinity. Nobody had any idea what it was, but uh, it affected their lives. He writes that they shared a single room, because of the, but because of their disagreement, which was so bitter, they vowed never to speak a word to each other again. The two lived the rest of their miserable lives in spiteful silence. They drew a chalk line down the middle of the room. It bisected the doorway and the stove where the fireplace was so that they could each go in and out and do their own cooking without violating the territory of the other person. They, the hatred divided the room into two equal unfriendly halves. These Scottish sisters coexisted in their own forgiving world. Each prepared her own meals. Each had her own visitors. Each cleaned her own half of the room. At night, they lay only inches apart, literally sleeping with the enemy. Stevenson went on to say they engaged in their hideous twin devotions, thumbing a pair of great Bibles or praying aloud for each other's penitence. Forgiveness was never a consideration, and thus they never reconciled. What a tragedy. What, what a tragedy. We have to ask, could that really happen? I hate to say it, but it could. I, I had a grandmother... Uh, she was actually born on, on the boat the late 1800s, coming over from Germany. Uh, in, in her early teen years, she became pregnant out of wedlock. And uh, back in, in the early part of 1900, that was really looked down on. And her, her, she was facing a, a difficult life because of it, because the, the man, whoever the father was, she never revealed, and he never took any interest in in making things right. And, and so eventually my grandfather agreed to marry her so at least the child would have a name and have some legitimacy. But from that point on, my grandmother was a very bitter woman. She was so bitter that she had a little black book and she had every family member's name in that little black book. And if you did something that she didn't like, it was recorded in that little black book. If she wanted to be bad at you, all she had to do was turn to your page, 
look at your list of offenses over the years, and she could suddenly, instantly be mad at you. The tragedy of that was that she never reconciled with anybody. She kept that book till the day she died. She was up close to 90 when she died. At the end of her life, just one daughter ever came around to see her. She had no friends. She had no one that mourned her passing. She had endured that bitterness all of her life. And I thought, what a a tragedy. It doesn't have to be that way. And so I want us to look at a song of ascent. Now, if you're not familiar with the songs of ascent, there's 15 of them in scripture. They begin in Psalm 120 and they go through Psalm 134. So this is a, just about the end of them. This is the next to the last one. They were pilgrim songs. They were sung by the pilgrims that would make their way from throughout the Roman Empire to Jerusalem for the Passover service. For some people, it was a once-in-a-lifetime journey. For others, it was every year if they, they were close enough to make the journey. But along the way, they would band together for security, for encouragement, uh, to pool their resources, much like what our settlers did as they crossed the prairies and across the mountains to settle in, in this area. They, they would join together in bands so that they could make the journey successfully. The fact of the matter is, you and I are pilgrims today. We're on a spiritual journey. This world is not our home. We're just passing through. And as I think of the pilgrim psalms, because that's what these were, they would sing them along the way. And this one was sung especially as they came up out of the Jordan River Valley up to Uh, Bethany and could overlook the city of Jerusalem. This was one of their favorite songs to sing because they knew the journey was just about over. And and when you come to, I I, I love the the next one, 134 there, where he says, bless the Lord, all the servants who serve by night in the house of the Lord. The implication there is these are the ones whose journey is just about over. And uh, I I like that because in all honesty, I think my journey is just about over. Uh, I, I, been to several doctors recently, and they all say, you know, you're not getting any younger. <laughs> uh, your, your time is coming. <laughs> and and I, I keep saying, I don't want to hear that. <laughs> Just soon not go to the doctor if that's what I'm going to hear. But the fact of the matter is we are headed home. And as I think about that, I think of what someone wisely said years ago. It says, to live above with saints we love, that will be glory. To live below with saints we know, now that's a different story. (laughs) And unfortunately, that's where we're at here today. God has called us to unity. In John chapter 14, in verses 34 and 35, Jesus said, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples. How? By your love one for another. And yet... We're locked in a battle that no one seems to know how to reconcile or how to win. We have lost our testimony to the world in this community. We have lost our effectiveness in our service in the church. And I'm well aware of the problems. I've listened to both sides of the issues. I thought it was time for us to get back to what saith the scriptures. What is God's solution for these kind of problems. That's what we need to investigate here today. I'm not here to impose a a solution on anybody. I I do not have the authority to do that. Uh, Whether I wanted to or not, I I cannot do that. I I have come simply as a former pastor who has a love for this work, and I'm also coming on behalf of the uh, regional transition team as, as we're looking at starting a new new district and so forth. And, and I come with their blessing. I come with uh, President Compline's blessing. He, he encouraged me to come, and as did Greg Fell, our, the counselor for the, the transition team, a former district superintendent from the Rocky Mountain District. So that, that that's why I'm here. But I want to bring the word of God to play on some of the issues that are here. There are many New Testament passages, uh, and this has been a difficult message 
to come up with. Uh, if, if you were here when I was pastor, you know I, I love to have my messages outlined for about 12 weeks in advance. If I'm less than 12 weeks prepared, I'm behind schedule. And I'll work double time to, to get caught up to where, where I think I should be. I, I know a lot of pastors don't do that, but that's not my problem. That's theirs. <laughs> but uh, And so a couple of weeks ago when Tom asked if I would, and incidentally, I volunteered to, to come because this work is dear to my heart. And you've been in our prayers for three years since we left here. You're still a part of us, and we feel a part of you, so we haven't stopped praying, even though we're no longer pastor here. But when I, when Tom asked if I would come, I started thinking, what am I going to preach on? And I started coming up with some really good sermons. I went to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and I thought, that's, that's the one. Then I went, uh, it seemed like the Spirit of God says, no, that's not where I want you to go. I went to Philippians chapter 2, uh, another great one to wrestle with. And I started working on that. I even started writing notes out. And the Spirit of God said, no, wait a minute, I didn't tell you to go there. And uh, I was getting frustrated. Uh, where in the world does he want me to go? And then about two weeks ago, we have a Sunday evening prayer time. We About 15 people get together, 12 to 15 people, and we spend the time in prayer. And um, sitting there in prayer meeting, we've gone through uh, some problems in the church there. That's part of being an interim pastor. You help them work through some, some issues. And, and uh, as a result of that, one family left the church, and uh, one of the ladies was praying. And she was praying for the family that left the church, that, that God would really work in their heart and, and that there would be reconciliation and so forth. And in the middle of her prayer, she quoted Psalm 133. And it was just as if the Lord was saying, okay, you got your text. And, and I shouldn't, well, I can say this here. I, I'm not going to say this at, at home. But I, I was just so impressed with that that I got out a piece of paper while everybody else was praying and I started coming up with an outline. Thoughts just kept coming one after another. And so that's where this morning's message is coming from. I want us to look first at the principle of unity as it's expounded to us here in verse 1. He says, behold, and if you didn't notice, this is a very succinct psalm. There are no wasted words in this psalm. A lot of your psalms are, are poetry, and, and uh, I'm not a poet, but I can identify with this one. It, it's simple enough, uh, succinct enough that, that I, don't, I don't get lost in the, in the poetry of it. And I've paraphrased that little word behold for you this morning. It simply means this is important, sit up and take notice. This is not a time to catch up on your sleep. It's just a little psalm, but I think most of you know me well enough to know that doesn't mean a small message. That doesn't mean a short message. Uh, I had to educate the people in Soap Lake that way. I started in on Colossians, and I, middle of Colossians, I did just two verses one Sunday morning. You could just sense that we're going to have a short message today. <laughs> I said, don't believe it. It's not going to happen. Uh, and it's a short song, but it's not going to happen. Sit up and pay attention. This is important. What is so important? It is unity in God's church. If we don't have it, we have lost our testimony. We have lost our effectiveness. We have lost what God wants to do in our lives and in the lives of our brothers and sisters. In Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to jump around a lot in the New Testament. I didn't waste all those times thinking of messages for, for no reason at all. I, I'm going to use some of that material. But he says, I beseech you, in chapter 4, verse 1 of Ephesians, that you walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with humility, with gentleness, with patience, showing forbearance to one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. What a command that is. And I would 
those of you that are taking notes, I'd, I'd write down that scripture and I'd go back and study that again this week because I'm not going to develop that for you. But we are to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. He said, if we don't, we're not walking worthy of our calling. We are not walking worthy of what God expects of us as his children there. We are called to that. And he goes on, and I'm not going to go any farther in Ephesians, but he goes on to list seven unifying factors there that, that unite us together, that we should seriously consider. Rather than considering a fight, we, we need to consider what is it that, that unites us today? Because I am convinced that there is far more damage done to the church of Jesus Christ by fights within the church, by splits and by factions, than by outright opposition from the world. The lack of unity destroys our testimony. It destroys a church. And while we fight, the world goes to hell. I'm, uh, Jim was challenging us to tell the story. We, we need to tell the story. But are they going to believe it if we're fighting one another? And let's be honest, we live in a small community. The community knows what's going on in this church. You're not hiding it. You're not covering it up. They know. And so what damage are we doing by continuing to fight one another? Notice what he says in verse 1. He says, behold, what? How good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. And I had to ask, why is that good? Why is it pleasant? And I got my answer from Philippians chapter 2. Again, I tried to go there, but the Lord said no, but I'm still going to go there for a verse or two. Uh, don't talk to my wife. She'll tell you I'm a little bit stubborn at times. <laughs> uh, don't believe that. But in, in, in there, he says, in verse 3, don't do anything from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, let each one regard one another as more important than himself. Don't merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in you or this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. When we heed the Spirit's command to walk together in unity, we are following the example of Jesus Christ. And that is good. And that is pleasant. And I, I, I've never in over 50 some years, we're starting 53 years of ministry now. I have never had anybody come to me and say, I'm sorry for following God's word. I'm sorry for walking according to the scriptures. I've, I've never had anyone do that. I, I've had a lot of people come and say, I, I wish I hadn't violated this scripture or, or, or that scripture. But it's good and it's pleasant to follow the word of God. And we want to touch on that as we go through this, this message today. We need to beware of that me first attitude. I, I was charged in January, and, and I hate this, but I, I was charged by the, the board there to give a series of messages. I, I don't like to take... The, uh, what kind of messages or what I preach on from men. I, I, I like that to come from the Spirit of God. But because of some of the problems we had gone through, I said, okay, I will, I will do that. Uh, I didn't do exactly the way they wanted it. They wanted me to preach on the the ministry of the Word and how important it was and, and so forth. And, and I, 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 I believe that. And, and the reason behind that was we had a candidate come, and he just couldn't communicate the Word. It, it, was, it was terrible. Uh, and, and yet some of the people really wanted him, and, and that was the reason a family left the church and so forth. I said, okay, I will preach on that, but I'm going to expand on it. And I chose to preach for four, five weeks, actually, on building a church and what is involved in, in, in building a church. So I looked at not only the preaching of the word, I, I looked at the responsibility of surrendering to Christ and being under his lordship, we looked at what is the responsibility of the congregation because the pastor's not going to build it by himself. It, it, that's just not going to happen. But I started out with a very controversial statement the first Sunday. I like to do that once in a while. <laughs> uh, because I knew where the battle lines were drawn. I, I knew what was going on. And I, in the first message that I gave, I said, 
I want to say at the very beginning, the number one priority of a pastor is not to preach the word of God. And then I said, I'm not going to tell you what it is today. You got to come back next week. <laughs> uh, I said, don't even bother asking my wife because I haven't even told her. Uh, I, uh, uh, she used to, for years, ask me, what are you going to preach on Sunday? And I'd say, you have to come to church and find out. <laughs> now she knows because uh, she does the PowerPoint for me, so she has to know in advance. But the, uh, the next week I told them what the number one priority of a pastor is. You want to know? <laughs> I thought I'd get your attention there. It comes out of 1 Peter chapter 5. And I looked at the pastor as an elder because the word pastor is only used once in the New Testament. Are you aware of that fact? There's no office of pastor. It's an elder. He's one with the elders there. So I did 1 Peter 5 with them that week. And you come down to the end of verse 3. He's, or verse 3 says, he, he gives several reasons of what they should be doing as elders. He said, not yet as the Lord handed over those that lot it to your charge. That's the danger. Uh, you, we want to be in control. Uh, how many of you like to be in control? No, don't raise your hands because you, the rest of you wouldn't be honest. <laughs> uh, I don't want that this morning. But then he goes on to say, but proving to be examples to the flock. That is the number one priority, I think, for a pastor. The Apostle Paul put it very bluntly in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, where he says, be imitators of me as I am of Jesus Christ. And so it is the responsibility of the pastor, it's the responsibility of the elders to model Jesus Christ to this fellowship, to this church. And if they are not doing that, they're not doing their job. That, that is what their number one priority is. And as, as I say that, as they model Christ, it brings unity, not uniformity. God doesn't ask us all to do the same thing. Uh, I, I was thinking of that. I, I, I've often, maybe I shouldn't, but I kind of envied Jim just a little bit because he can get up here and preach. And then he can stand up here and sing. And <laughs> I can't do that. Uh, God didn't gift me that way. That's not the gift that he gave to me, and and that's okay. We all have been gifted differently, and yet we all have been gifted for the purpose of building up the body of Christ, 1 Corinthians chapter 4. We we all have that that reason and that, that function today. So he said unity in the church is good, it's pleasant. And then he goes on to illustrate that principle, the second one in your notes there, the principle of unity illustrated in verses 2 through 3a. What does unity look like? And he gives us two rather strange illustrations here. You know, you usually think of unity, okay, well, let's, let's go to the one another's in Scripture. That, that, that's how we demonstrate unity and so forth. That's not what the psalmist does. The psalmist, first of all, gives us the illustration of the oil. The oil, he said, the precious oil upon the head of Aaron coming down his beard uh, and so forth there, and we'll look at that in just a minute. This was not just any oil. This was a special oil. The command for it was given in Exodus chapter 30, beginning in verse 22. It was made a special way. They they had a a recipe, I'm told, and I can't verify this, but uh, commentaries at least say that that they would take about 50 pounds of spices, blend them together, mix them with over a gallon of olive oil, and they would make a special oil. It was for two purposes. It was for the consecration of the priests, and it was for the consecration of the articles of furniture and articles the utensils and so forth that were used in the temple or or the tabernacle. They were to be consecrated or set apart to God and and to God's service there. So this this is the oil that he is talking about there. And and I think it's a picture for us of of the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts and lives. Zechariah chapter 4, he said, not by work, not by might, nor by my spirit, but not by power, but, or not by might, but my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. If the spirit of God doesn't work, 
nothing gets accomplished. We, we need to depend on, on the Holy Spirit if, if we are going to watch him work. This special oil was forbidden for anyone to copy. No one was, to able, was allowed to use this recipe and market it or use it for their own purposes. It, it was forbidden. It, this was special for, for the use of the Lord. I, 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 I like to say I like the picture here. But I don't know about you, but I'm thankful that I didn't live in that day and age. <laughs> I, I wouldn't want somebody taking a picture of this oil, pouring it on my head in front of the congregation and, and having it run down my beard and down onto my clothes, down to the very hem of my garments there. That just doesn't grab it with me. <laughs> I'm sorry, but uh, I, I, I'm thankful I wasn't there. Uh, it, it was for Aaron. It was for those that replaced Aaron. It was for those that had a part in the priesthood. Uh, and, and as we look about that, I think there was a reason why he spells that out in detail here. It was to begin by being poured on his head. Um, the head is the source of our mind, isn't it? In Romans chapter 12, if we're going to be consecrated to God, he said, we need to be transformed by what? The renewing of our mind. And so we need the, the spirit of God to transform our mind and our thinking. We don't think like the world. We, we don't follow the ways of the world. We are to think the thoughts of God. We are, allowed, uh, are to have the word of God programmed into our hearts, into our minds, so that we can be an example of Jesus Christ. So he begins with the mind, and then it comes down onto the beard. What is involved in that? The beard is around the mouth, isn't it? Now, as Jim was exhorting us, we need to open our mouths, don't we? Tell the story. How are they going to know if we don't tell them? Yeah, we, it, it's, it, our, mind, our, our mouth has to be surrendered to the Lord as well. The psalmist in Psalm 19, verse 14 said, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be, what? Acceptable. In thy sight, O Lord, my God. I find that very challenging in the midst of conflict. Let the words of my mouth be acceptable in thy sight. Can you honestly say that today? Have you said some words that were unkind? Have you said some words that were critical? Have you said some words that uh, tore down somebody else? Or is your mouth surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ? We need to be careful in those areas. As someone said, sticks and stones can break my bones, but names will never hurt me. Nothing can be farther from the truth in that statement. We can destroy a person. We can destroy a person's integrity with words. We need to be careful of that area. We need to have that, our mouth consecrated to the Lord. And then it goes down onto the garment and, and it, the garment that Aaron wore had on it uh, 12 gemstones, one for each of the 12 tribes of Israel. And so that oil poured over those stones, uniting them together there. And, and I think it speaks to the fact that we are to have a testimony to the world. What is it that they see? What did they see as far as the priest was concerned? They saw the garments. Uh, they, they were special garments. They, they marked them out as, as a special individual. He had a special role to play in the temple and so forth there. And our walk in this world is important. We should have a testimony. People looking at us should see that Jesus Christ makes a difference in a person's life. Can they see that in the midst of the battle? We, we need to be careful in that area. And then, then it went down to the hem of his garment. I think it takes us all the way down to his feet there. Uh, our walk has to be surrendered to him as well. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, he says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. We need to invite the Holy Spirit into our lives, into every area of our lives, our mind, our will, our, our words, our walk, and ask him, to guard us, ask him to guide us, ask him to be glorified through our lives. This oil, as I said, had a special fragrance. It reminds me of what Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter five. 
It says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us and offering a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma, as a sweet smelling offering. And that's to be you and I. We're to be that offering in in the world today. We are to carry the fragrance of Christ wherever we go. And then he gives a second illustration. Again, a strange one. Uh, he, he speaks of the, the dew in verse 3 that comes down on Mount Hermon. Mount Hermon actually is in the northern part of, part of Israel. We had the privilege of, of going up there and visiting there when we were in Israel. It is the source of water for most of the nation of Israel. The Jordan River has its uh, headwaters in, in, up in those mountains. They, it flows uh, a stream flows down from the mountains into the Sea of Galilee. The river flows through the Sea of Galilee, just like uh, the Columbia River flows through Lake Roosevelt. We like to call it a lake. It's actually the river. Yeah, the river is flowing through it. And, and then it goes down the, the Jordan Valley to, to, to the Dead Sea there. Even today, most of the irrigation that is done in that land is done from the water from this source. It's piped throughout all of, all of the land, even into the Palestinian territory. They, they derive most of their, their water from, from this as well there. We understand that over in Soap Lake. We, we live on a farm that had a, four cuttings of alfalfa, four cuttings of grass hay. This had abundant cutting of, of corn into late November before they finally could get it all in. It, it just had so much of it. Uh, and the reason for that is just one mile from our house is the West Canal. Uh, the, the water is pumped out of Lake Roosevelt into Banks Lake. It flows down Banks Lake, and then it's pumped into two different East Canal and the West Canal. And, and because we're close enough to the canal, the person that owns our property has nine of those great big crop circles. And, and they pump water day and night out of that canal and irrigate that land, and, and they grow tremendous crops. I think the dew, and the reason he uses that here is, is because when we are united together, we are fruitful. We bring forth fruit of Jesus Christ. If we're not united together, we, the crop isn't there. The water isn't there in our lives. There was a Roman historian in the second century that was writing about the events of the first century. And he was not a, not a Christian, had nothing to do with Christianity, but he covered the, the early rising of the church and so forth. And his comment about the first century church was, behold how they loved one another. What a remarkable testimony that was to the Roman world. Do you wonder why Christianity spread throughout the Roman world? I think as an historian, he captured the reason. They loved one another. They demonstrated that love. Divisions, splits, fights amongst ourselves, they'll reveal selfish motives, but they don't reveal the love of God. And so we come to the principle of unity that's endorsed here in verse 3b. Notice he ends it by saying, for there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forevermore. How important is it that we come to a place of unity? Do you want the blessing of the Lord? That's how important it is. He, he, he said it's from that position, not Mount Hermon. That, that, that was just the illustration he was using. It was from the position of unity that God commanded the blessing. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Do you want to be known as a son of God? You've got to learn to be a peacemaker. You're not going to demonstrate that by being involved in a battle. Do you, you want unity? You need the work of the Spirit of God. I like John chapter 17 in verse 22. He says, Glorify thou, uh, and the glory which thou hast given me, I've given to them. He's talking about his disciples there. He's also talking about you and I, because he goes on to say, not only to those 
but to, to those who will believe. So that, that's you and I there. It says that they may be one just as we are one. I in them and thou in me, that they may be perfected in unity, that the world may know that thou didst send me and didst love them even as thou didst love me. And he desires that unity within the body of Christ. There are certainly battles that we need to fight. Ephesians chapter 6 speaks of those battles, that we have an enemy. It's uh, Satan and his forces that would fight against us. Uh, But notice he says there, our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against our brother and sister. The battle is against the forces of darkness and the forces of wickedness that are out there. And if we're not careful, we forget that. I got a book at Christmas time. I, I think uh, somebody's getting tired of my illustrations because I, I, I can use this. Well, I can't say I use all of the same ones over there at Soap Like that I used here because I had 11 years of <laughs> illustrations to, to glean from, from from my time here so that I couldn't use here, but I, I can use them over there. Uh, but uh, for Christmas, I, I was given a, a book of illustrations uh, compiled by Charles Swindoll. A great big used thick book, and uh, I've skimmed through it, and the other day I was just arbitrarily looking through it, and I came up with one. Uh, it's the story of Andrew Jackson, who became the, the seventh president of, of the United States. Before he became president, he served as a major general in the Tennessee militia. He served during the War of 1812. During that war, his troops reached an all-time low in morale. As a result, they began arguing, bickering, fighting amongst themselves. It's reported that, as he was called, Old Hickory called his men together, and just when the tensions were the worst, and he said, gentlemen, let's remember the enemy is over there. I think we need his words. The enemy is not sitting here in the room with you. The enemy is the power of darkness that is seeking to destroy this work and, and this testimony. Notice he says in the psalmist, if, if we are united together in Christ, that the Lord will command his blessing upon us and upon our ministry and our work. And he goes on to identify that as life forevermore. Now, when I first read that, I thought, well, don't we already have eternal life? When we accept Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, he said, I've given unto you eternal life. So what's the added blessing there? I think he's talking about more than eternal life there. I think he's talking about what Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 10. I am come that you might have life, and what? That you might have it more abundantly. He's not just dealing with eternal life there. He's dealing with life today. We can enjoy God's blessing upon our life today. We can enjoy God's blessing upon our church. We can enjoy God's blessing upon fellowshipping with one another if we will walk together in unity. If we don't, we miss the blessing of God, individually and collectively. And so that is what we have to wrestle with today. It is a tough little psalm. Don't you hate some of those tough psalms? You, you, you think, oh, I, you just read that over and it seems so simple. And then you start digging into it and the Spirit of God puts his finger on something in your life. And I think that's what he does with, with, with this psalm here. Uh, as you think of that, I think you've got to honestly ask yourself, has God been blessing your life recently? Has God been commanding the blessing upon this church if not, why not? What is the sin? What, what is going on that keeps God from being able to bless us? What is it that is destroying unity in our midst? What is it that is sowing discord and dissension? I have listened to both sides of the battle. I've read the letters. I've, I've talked with people from both sides of the issue And the battle that is raging here, and in all honesty, I'm heartbroken. I really am. I don't cry very easy, but 
When I look around the room today, I feel like crying because we're missing it, folks. We're missing it. Not only crying, but uh, I think probably the only one here that's ever seen me get angry is my wife. You're seeing it today. I'm angry. This is not right. This is not what God expects of a church. This is not what God expects of you as an individual or you as, as a group. It's time to end the war. The battle has raged too long. It cannot continue. If it continues, I I talked a week ago with Greg Fell because I, I wanted to, his advice, Greg served as district superintendent for the Rocky Mountain District for several years. And I had gone to Kevin Compline, our president, sharing what was going on here and my involvement in it and asking if, if it was right for me to come or not because I didn't want to overstep my bounds there. And he said, I encourage you to go, but I said, I want you to talk to Greg first. And so I called Greg and I laid out what was going on there. And he said, you know, he said, there's only one solution. And if that solution doesn't happen, he said, it's just a matter of time before they close the doors of the church. He said, it will not last. He, he said, God will not honor that. First uh, Corinthians chapter 3 is where I wanted to go, where the church was divided. One was saying, I follow Paul. Another was, I follow Apollos. I'm on this side. I'm on that side. And, and in all honesty, I see the two sides here. Now, you, you don't even sit together, do you? You, you? you got your sides marked out. A few of you are in the middle, but uh, the, the battle has raged too long. I've studied in detail your constitution, and I came to the conclusion that you're at a stalemate. According to the bylaws, you cannot break the impasse that is here. There is legally no way you can do that. So that means we've got to find another solution. Something has to happen if we're going to move forward for the glory of God. And, and I didn't finish that First Corinthians 1. You, you come down to the middle of that chapter in chapter 3. He says, the day is coming when every man is going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And you're going to give an account for how you lived your life. And your, your life's work is going to be tried by fire. And then to make matters worse, you come down to verse 16 and verse 17 of that chapter And he's dealing with the church there. He's not dealing with individuals. He's dealing with the church. He said, if anyone destroys the temple of God, the church, God will destroy him. So that's how serious a matter we are facing today. If this church is destroyed, you bring yourself under the judgment of God. And I don't know what that involves for you as individuals or a church, but I don't want to be there. I don't want any part of that. And so what are the solutions? And that's what I wanted to ask Greg Fell. And as we talked, he came down to only one solution. But I'm going to suggest some solutions that you've been trying. And I want to look at them from the scriptures. Some of you have been busy writing letters, outlining your side of the story, passing it on to others, spreading the garbage to somebody else. I wonder, where's the scriptural justification of that? In Galatians chapter 5, verse 15, he said, if you bite and devour one another, you're going to be devoured. I don't think that's a biblical solution. Some of you have called for a special meeting where everybody can air their grievances and, and lay it all out in public and get it all out and get it over with. Again, where do you find that in scripture? I don't see any scriptural guideline for that whatsoever. I would have nothing to do with a meeting like that. All it's going to do is raise a lot of hurt. A lot of people are going to go away hurt and, and wounded. What is that going to accomplish? Uh, again, uh, I, I think of 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21, when I think of something like that. Jesus, when he's, he was reviled, he didn't stand up and revile in return. He turned himself over to God, and he let God take care of it there. Can we trust the Lord to work out the situation, or do we think we have to take 
that situation. Uh, I heard this morning that there's a threat of some legal action being taken. Haven't you ever read 1 Corinthians chapter 6? You go to court against your brother and you know what he says? You've already lost. You may win your case, but you've lost your testimony to the world and you might as well close the doors because it'll be years before you outlive that kind of action. The community will know exactly what is going on. So what is the solution? And and as I talked with Greg Fell about this, he said the only solution that he could think of, and he said, if I came, this is what I would have to tell the church. The only solution is repentance. We need to have our hearts broken before God. We need to ask God's forgiveness for what we have done. We need to ask our brother and sister's forgiveness for the way in which we've treated them. We may even need to stand before the church and ask their forgiveness because we've misused the gifts and the trust that they've placed in us. We, we need forgiveness. And somebody said to me as, as I was sharing that, if we're going to repent, what is it that we have to repent of? I'm going to give you a list of some things to think about today, to wrestle with, areas that need to be confronted and faced if we're going to have victory over sin in this church. I think one area that we need to repent of is the fact that we have attacked one another with words. We can call it what we want. We can call it gossip. We can call it sharing prayer requests. God doesn't buy that. It's wrong. We need to ask God's forgiveness for the times in which we have failed to use our lips to the glory of Jesus Christ. We've used them to attack our brother or sister. That's a sin. I think we need to take up, uh, we need to ask forgiveness for taking up an offense in behalf of a brother or sister. Uh, You've had your secret meetings. You've you've joined together. You've, You've made your decisions condemning others without following the principles of Matthew chapter 18. The first responsibility is not to join together and talk it all out and and come to a a common agreement with one another with those that that are our friends. The responsibility is to go to the person involved one-on-one and ask them what happened, what's going on. We failed to do that. So many of you are up in the arms about something that somebody said was said. You never went and checked it out. That's sin. That needs to be repented of. You need to get back right with God. Another area we have to repent of, I think, is our failure to truly love one another. It's been too long. It's been all about me, all about number one. We need to realize we are here to serve one another. We're not here to be lords. We're not here to to rule. We're here to be an imitation of Jesus Christ. Can the world or can the the rest of the church body looking at you see a, a glimpse of Jesus Christ? Can they, can they see the love of Christ? Can they see what Christ would do in, in these situations? Uh, maybe some have to repent of their failure to act. Maybe you have some just accusations. Maybe there are some concerns. But to carry on a fight for over a year and not deal with those concerns is wrong. It's wrong. James chapter 4, verse 17 says, To him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Don't write it off and say, well, I didn't know better, or I didn't want to hurt them, or, or whatever. If you did not take the action that you were responsible to take, and God had revealed to you, you have sinned. You need to ask God's forgiveness of that. The solution, my friends, is found in 1 John chapter 1 verse 9 if we confess our sin he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness don't close your eyes to the reality of the sin that's been involved in a year-long battle actually it's been more than a year don't close your eyes to the sin it's time to bring it to God and ask for his forgiveness and then perhaps to ask for forgiveness to your brother and sister there and so I'm going to ask, and I wish, I was wishing that uh, 
Lois could have stayed, but I understand Gary's in the hospital. I wanted her to play quietly, just as I am. I don't know if we have somebody that can, can play that. Can, can, can you play that for us, Marianne? Just quietly play, pray that. I'm going to ask the rest of you, as she gets ready to play that, to bow your head for just a moment. This is a sobering moment. It's a time when we need to do business with the Lord. This psalmist said, or yeah, Psalm 139, the psalmist prayed, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and see if there's any way of wickedness in my heart. I don't want you to look across the aisle. I don't want you to look at the person sitting next to you and ask what's wrong with them. I want you to ask the Spirit of God to reveal where you have missed it in your life. Where have you sinned? Where have you gone astray from the scripture? And then are you willing to say, Lord, I have sinned. I need your forgiveness. And to demonstrate that, as Mary Ann plays, as God speaks to your heart, and you have something that needs to be forgiven, I want you to come forward and deal with it at the altar. So, Mary Ann. First John 1 says, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive it. You are forgiven. And I want you to just thank the Lord for that fact today. He has heard your prayer. He has forgiven you. He has cleansed you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the working of your Holy Spirit in hearts and lives. Father, we thank you that you are able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think. Father, we're going to dare to ask you to bring this place, this church, to the place where you can bless it again, where they can experience life forevermore. Father, we thank you that you're willing to forgive, but we have to ask for it. Give us the courage to do that if we haven't already done that this morning. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Jim.